Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, good morning, folks. Boy, a few more here right now than this morning. But uh, what I'm going to share this morning starts a lot with my own family. You saw my family on the um, video, but um, here's my family in a picture with four children, three daughters and a son, yeah, and uh, 11 grandchildren. Boy, they're not cheap. <laughs> my wife says, whatever you spend on one, you got to spend on all of them. I said, they'll never know. She said, they won't, but the parents will. <laughs> my kids would know, believe me. <clears throat> But uh, I want to talk about relationships. Uh, in, bra- in, in an individual growing up, I did a, a pyramid of one's life that I use it a lot for teaching. It reminds me about a lot of truths in life. It's this pyramid that you see here. And at the top of the pyramid is a small pyramid. That is one's behavior. That's what you see when you look at a person. You see their behavior. It's kind of like an iceberg. Uh, You see a little bit of the ice on top. But underneath, below your sight line, is a huge, massive piece of ice. It's the same way when you look at a person. You see that little bit above the water, their behavior. But then you got a massive part underneath that you don't see. Now, our behavior, what drives your behavior? Your values. Folks, your values do. You give me enough time with an individual, I can often tell you what their values are. If I know what the person's values are, I can pretty well predict accurately what their behavior will be. But then the next key is, What forms our values? What forms our values that drives our behavior? It's our beliefs. I would often call it one's worldview. What's a worldview? It's how you view the world. Uh, Do you view it from a biblical perspective, a scientific perspective, a cultural perspective? What? You can see that their values are driven by their worldview. But what forms their beliefs? What engenders one to believe? What engenders your own children to accept your beliefs and the truth that you want them to follow? I struggled with that for at least one year. Now it seems like I should have known it in two minutes. But it took me a whole year to figure out what engenders our beliefs. Folks, the bottom line of that pyramid is relationships. Relationships. Relationships forms our beliefs that drives our values that produces our behavior. A school shooter, a young man, said in an interview afterwards when he was in prison, I'd rather be wanted for murder than not wanted at all. And he talked about not having a relationship with his daddy. 
I'd rather be wanted for murder than not wanted at all. The Journal of Psychology and Aging, psychology, that part's for for Jacob, the aging is for me, (laughs) followed people for 30 years, 30 years studying this group of people. And they concluded this. For people in their 20s, the most important thing is the number of relationships they have. But that changes in the 30s. And they discovered that for people in their 30s, it's the quality, not the number, the quality of the relationships they have. Because it's the quality that affects your behavior and affects your happiness and everything. And they found that relationships have a far greater impact upon your behavior in the 30s than it does in the 20s. I wouldn't have expected that. Harvard University did an 80-year study. 80 years followed several hundreds of people. Think of what that cost. And this is what they learned out of 80 years studying. People who fared best in life were the people who leaned into relationships with family and friends. The most, the happiest people, that's what they wanted to find out. Who are the happiest people? And the most successful people are those that leaned in to relationships. And they discovered that family, this is family now. Family relationships seem more vital than friendships by far. The impact of family relationships was far greater than relationships with your friends. And the sad thing is, I know so many young people, so many adults who grew up without that family relationship. If you were not close to your family growing up in relationships... The study showed you were at a greater risk of dying a lot younger. Whoever thought relationships had something to do with the, the longevity of life? People who stra- with strained family ties had far more chronic health situations when they got older, far worse health. They found that relationships relates to longevity. Relationships relates to the quality of life you experience. Wow. No wonder David said in Psalm 28.3, For I am always aware of your unfailing love. Always. He didn't say once in a while, a couple of times a week. He said, I'm always aware of your unfailing love. What did that do to David? And I have lived according to your truth. <clears throat> in Psalm 86, 11, is a verse I bet every one of you pray that your children will someday honestly pray it. It was my prayer for my 10 children, now my 11 grandkids. When David said, teach me your ways, O Lord. Why? Why teach me that I may live according to your truth? Isn't that what we want for our children? Pray, Lord, teach me your ways. I want to live out your truth. That's the prayer of just about every parent. 
And then it goes on and says, for your love for me is very great. In Ephesians 4.15 is a phrase we all quote a lot. It's this, but speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth in love. Now, love does not make it true. You can speak the truth in hatred. It's still true, but nobody will want it. What love does is not confirm its truthfulness. It cultivates the ground to receive the truth. It cultivates the ground to receive the truth. So after I became a believer and started to understand the scriptures, I developed three phrases that helped me to this day to live out my life. One is this. Rules without relationships lead to rebellion. Kids do not respond to rules, folks. They respond to rules in the context of a loving, intimate relationship. Rules without relationships lead to rebellion. Second, truth without relationships leads to rejection. Leads to rejection. But the one that really brings it home to me as a believer is Discipline without relationships leads to anger, bitterness, and resentment. I would never dream of disciplining a child who did not know that I really loved them. Why? Because ultimately the discipline will not pay off. The behavior you usually see ultimately is the opposite of what you desired in the discipline. Discipline without relationships leads to anger, bitterness, resentment. No wonder David said, for I am always aware of your unfailing love, always. And I've lived according to your truth. As parents, and many of you are parents, grandparents, we have a lot of fear for our, ch- for our children. Peer pressure. What about their, pe- oh boy, I can't tell you how many times my wife and I talked about that. Society pressure, the pressure of society around him. I try to raise my kids to live above the culture, not live out the culture. Advertising, promotion, all the sexual innuendos and everything else. College pressure. Oh, my child goes off to college. Will I lose him? What about all the pressure? I hear all these stories of kids walking away from their faith, everything. And then movies. (coughs) And now even more, you'd say internet and gaming. But one of the biggest fears that any parent ought to have is pornography. Most people, I would say 95% of you here can't even imagine how big pornography is. I give two talks on pornography, and I remember I struggled to find the right terms to express truly how big pornography is and what it does. And you know, I had to struggle doing that because most people cannot comprehend how huge it is in the impact upon families and children. But here's the question. Is there anything that can trump? That's not a political statement. Is there anything that can trump these outside influences? Is there anything? In research, they found one thing. Only one thing to override the college pressures, peer pressure, pornography, everything. It's a loving, intimate relationship with one's father, not the mother. 
the Father. Some of you women say, I'm insulted by that. Well, you shouldn't be. You ought to feel blessed. That's a compliment. Why? For this reason. Moms are almost always there. Most moms are either doing it right or they're trying their best to do it right. So many fathers are off in woolly woolly land. And that's why more kids talk about the impact of their father and their mother. Because you mothers are taken for granted. That you'll be there, you'll listen to them, you'll talk to them, you'll hurt with them, etc. It's the father's not taken for granted. So when the father does do these things, the impact is out of proportion. Way out of proportion. Dartmouth Medical School did a study. They wanted to find out what influences young people and all. And what they found out was that human beings are genetically, get that, genetically, not emotionally, etc., genetically wired to form relationships. You get what that's saying? When a child is, at the time a child is born, in other words, it starts in the womb. A child is genetically formed for relationships. And he went on to say, to impart one's value or truth to an individual, you want to impart your values, your truth to your children. Science says you must do two things. One, develop a loving, intimate connection with that child. Relationship. They said without developing a loving, intimate relationship with the child, most of the truth and values you want to pass on will not connect. But second, the first is develop an intimate relationship with that child. But second, model the very truth or value you want to see ingrained in your child. In other words, science says this about kids. If they don't see it, they won't believe it. If they don't see it, they won't believe it. And you know, Jesus said in John 13, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Oh, wouldn't it be something if every one of us as dads could say to our kids, I have given you an example to follow. Do as your father has done. That's called impact. Paul said in Ephesians 3, my children... Pattern your lives after mine. That's what I always wanted to say to my children. Son, daughter, pattern your life after mine and your mom. Columbia University did a study. They wanted to see the impact of single parenting and two-parent biological parents affecting a child's involvement in drugs, alcohol, and violence. This is what they found. Children raised in a single-parent home where the mother is the head. Now get this. It's 30% more likely to go into drugs, alcohol, and eventually violence. Now that's a high percentage. But... Children who are raised in a two-parent biological family, both mom and dad are present and they're biological, 
But with a fair to poor relationship with the father, 68% are more likely to use drugs, alcohol, or turn to violence. Over twice as likely in a two-parent biological family over against a single parenting family when there's a poor relationship with the father. If that doesn't show the impact of a daddy that God created for a father to have in a child's life. Children who are raised in a two-parent family who have a good to excellent relationship with the father. <laughs> this is cool. It'd been hard to share those other two ex- statistics without this one. But children who are raised in a two-parent family and that child has a good to excellent relationship with the father is less than 6% likely to ever use drugs, alcohol, or turn to violence. Wow. The power of a father in a child's life. Every single study I read, and I study all the time, folks. <laughs> I, uh, I do thousands of pages of research a year on er- almost every subject. And they found the number one thing to help a child deal with toxic stress, violence, drugs, alcohol, and everything when they get older is to grow up in a very warm, loving relationship with their daddy. Because you mothers are taken for granted, which is a compliment. They found in all these studies, those who grow up not close to their father are so much more prone for heart attacks and strokes. Whoever thought that heart attacks and strokes could be traced back to relationships? Almost everything in life does. That's what blew me with all my research. Almost everything goes back to relationships, and especially the relationship with the daddy. The FBI commissioned a study to be done. They wanted to see if they could come up with a profile of a shooter in schools. They studied the two previous shooters, and then 17 before them, which goes back a number of years. And this is what their profile became. One, a profile of a shooter, they're all white. Sorry, if you're African-American or Hispanic, you don't qualify. This is called prejudice. They're all, the shooters are all white. Second, they're all middle class. Not poor, not poverty, not wealthy. They're all middle class. All the shooters were. But third is a clincher. They're all white, they're all middle class. Third, fathers were absent, distant, are not involved in the parenting process. Why leave that to their mother? Which is the dumbest, stupidest, most idiotic thing. I can't think of any stronger words that would be appropriate for a father to ever say. Why leave the raising the children to the mom? 
You know who suffers from that? All research shows the child. The child suffers. Especially when they get older, they suffer. What is interesting, I don't understand it. Oh, I'm probably a good psychologist, a Christian psychologist could explain it. But so many of these things, the consequences are not immediate. The consequences are way down the road in the future. And this is why I think the scriptures and research helps a person to see the future to make decisions in the present. Johns Hopkins Medical School commissioned two doctors, Thomas and Dwazunski. It's spelled wrong on the slide. To study 1,377 medical students for 30 years. Think what that cost. 30 years studying 1,377 medical students, graduates. And they wanted to see if they could find a common cause factor. In other words, can they look at a child and say, if this is true in a child's life, it doesn't mean this is going to happen. But the probability that this is happening is far greater when you get older. And here are the five things they said was the probability. Mental illness. Second, hypertension. Third, malignant tumors. Fourth, coronary heart disease. But fifth, suicide. They call suicide a disease. Did they find in all their research a common cause factor for these five diseases? That if you can look at a child and see this, it doesn't mean this is going to happen. But the probability of it happening is off the chart when they get older. They found one thing. After millions of dollars spent, research, everything, for 30 years, they found one thing. Quote, and this is in quotes in the study, the lack of closeness to parents was the most significant predictor of these five diseases. Now, whoever thought that diseases would relate to relationships? Just about everything does. It relates to the stress and conflict with parents, these five diseases. Boy, if you want to save money on health insurance and hospital bills and doctor bills, love your kids when they're young. (laughs) I mean, that's what research is saying. Love your children when they're young and you'll save money when you're older. And be a whole lot happier. Men who say, who would say in an interview, I had a good, a great relationship with my father growing up, has a direct effect upon how they relate to day in and day out stress. Now, whoever thought relationships would be the key factor in stress? My daughter, Katie, I have three daughters and a son. Katie was next to my youngest, the middle daughter. She came home from school one day and I always ask her, how did school go? What did you learn today? And then I always ask my kids, well, did your teachers learn anything? Meaning from you. <laughs> and uh, I hardly ever get an answer to that one. But Katie said, Daddy, there's this girl at school. She's so smart. Dad, she's incredible. She's, she's brilliant. 
And she has a, see, a two-thirds of a point edge on me for valedictorian. Boy, that's, a, <laughs> that's not that. That's that as a difference. And, uh, but I'm going to be valedictorian. I thought, well, I said, honey, how can you say that? She said, because of you and mom. Now, how would you answer that? I said, what do you mean, your mother and me? She said, honey, when Catherine goes home, it's like a war zone. Her folks aren't divorced, but they're fighting all the time. They yell at her and everything. She can't focus. She can't study. At class at school, she'll break out crying. And she can't focus. She can't study. But, Dad, I come home. It's like coming to an island of peace. You and Mom love each other. You love me. We have fun at home. You never yell at me much. <laughs> and she said, I can focus. And because of that, I'm going to be... And she was. She was valedictorian. But I was so proud of my Katie. She went to the administrators and said, why can't we have two valedictorians? Because it was so close, her winning out over this girl. And uh, she convinced them. They said, okay. So they had two valedictorians, two addresses at 15 minutes each at the thing. And I was proud of my daughter for that. But it was relationships that made the difference in that young lady's life. She didn't have them. You take a 12 to 14-year-old teen without a close relationship with their father, just 300% greater chance, now listen to this carefully, of thinking of suicide, not attempting suicide, not committing suicide, thinking of suicide. A 12 to 14-year-old raised up by their parents but does not have a close relationship with their father is 300% more likely to think of suicide. A 15 to 16-year-old, 400%. That's the highest percentage of anything I've seen relating to suicide. It comes back to the relationship with the daddy. No, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean if you don't have a close relationship with your daughter or son, whatever, they're going to think of suicide. It doesn't mean that. But it means that the possibility of that is off the charts. And it doesn't mean <laughs> that you can be, it means that you can be the best parent in the world. You can do everything right, everything right, and you have absolutely no guarantee one of your children or two might grow up and say, I hate you and walk away. There's no guarantee. But if you do have that loving relationship with your child, the chance of that happening, research shows, is so rare. But it can happen. I've seen it happen. I know some parents that one of their children, I mean, really went off the deep end. And I couldn't fault those parents for anything. In fact, I used to even say, I wish they'd been my parents. But it's a possibility. Lindsay Lohan, remember her in and out of jail? <laughs> you remember her. 
You're not Lindsay, are you? No. Okay. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan wrote a song, Confessions of a Broken Heart. Listen to some of the lyrics. And I wear all your old clothes, your polo sweater. I dream of another you. The one who would never leave me alone to pick up the pieces. A, a daddy to hold me, that's what I needed. Same thing I think was true of Britney Spears, so many other young ladies. I just wanted a daddy who would hold me and say, I love you. Look at Michael Jackson. His behavior often, things he would say. If you want to understand Michael Jackson, take one long look at his daddy. When Michael was five years old, his parents started the Jackson Five. Now think of that. All one family, the lead singer was five years old, was the most powerful music group in the world. No one matched him. No one could fill the stadiums like the Jackson Five with a five-year-old, after the first year he was six, um, lead singer. And their first rehearsal, something went wrong. And five-year-old Michael Jackson turned to his dad and said, Daddy! And Michael said, my father stopped the rehearsal. And in a firm voice, he said to me, I am not your father. I am your manager, and don't you ever forget that. And Michael said, I never forgot that to this day. This is about eight years ago. And Michael went on to say, I just wanted a dad, a father who showed me love. And my father never did that. He never once said, Michael, I love you. The power, there can't be a more powerful phrase in the world than I love you. No wonder David said, for I am always aware of your unfailing love, that you love me. And I have lived according to your truth. I was speaking in Minneapolis. Crowd about 1,800, 2,000. And a group of, of Goths, not punks, Goths came up. There were about five or six of them, stood about as far away as those steps are for me here, maybe not quite that far, in front of all these students. And they looked scary. They were all dressed in black. Every part of their body that wasn't tattooed was pierced. Every part. Their hair was every color, design, style you can imagine. They had big, heavy chains around their neck, and the leader had this, I mean, it had to be this big iron cross hanging from this big chain. And they stood about that far away, just like, just, just like saying, I dare you. 
I love that. I would pay people to dress that way and act that way. And uh, I started in to speak. And this head of the group ran up in front. He was a leader. He had the big cross. And what the 1,800, 2,000 students and teachers or professors didn't hear or say. And most of them probably didn't see it. But as I started to talk about the love I had for my father when I initially hated him so much, and how he came to Christ, the relationship we had, it got to him. And he came up, and tears were running down his cheeks. It was all I could do to keep from laughing. He said, that's horrible, I know. But he had black, heavy black mascara on his face, his eyelashes, everything. And when he started to cry, it ran down his face. He looked like a zebra with black stripes coming down his face. And I started to lift. He said to me, Mr. McDowell, would you give me a hug? And before I could even say yes and lift my hands up, I just started to raise my arms up. He grabbed me, clenched my arms to my side, put his head on my shoulder, and cried like a baby. And when he got his composure, he said, my father never once ever hugged me or told me he loved me. All that young man wanted was to hear his father say, I love you. You all don't know him very well or anything, a little bit. Hugh Hefner, founder of Playboy. In an interview, and I think in a weak moment for this time, he said this, I knew my mother loved me, but she never expressed it. So I had to learn about love from the movies. I really believe if Hugh Hefner had a loving, intimate relationship with his father, you'd have never had Playboy. I know some of you are going, oh, bummer. <laughs> but you would never have had Playboy. I believe that. Just if he had a loving relationship with his daddy. I said to my son once, I asked him three questions. I said, son, do you know that I love you? Well, yeah, dad. Son, do you know that I love your mother? Oh, yeah, Dad. Son, do you know that I love you? Yeah, Dad. And he threw his arms around me and gave me a big hug. When was the last time you said to your child or grandchild, I love you? I challenge you to try it. I was sitting in a corner restaurant in Union City, Michigan, a little tiny town, about 1800, where I was born and raised. And my father was there and five or six of the town leaders, village leaders. And a few weeks before that, I called my father up, made an appointment with him at a 50s diner in Battle Creek, Michigan, because I wanted to tell him how much I hated him and I never wanted to see him again. We met there, the waitress walked away with her order and I looked at my father and I said, Dad, I've come here to tell you, I love you. 
I don't know who was most surprised, him hearing it or me saying it. I'm serious. That's when I knew something had happened in my life. So we're sitting in this diner, and these five county leaders said, Mac, that's what they called called my dad, Mac, what happened to you? You're so different. He used to be drunk all the time downtown, making a fool of himself. I was always so embarrassed with him and everything. He'd go into stores, knock things off the shelf and all. They said, Mac, what happened to you? You're so different. And my father, I was sitting at the end of the table, he followed and he pointed at me and he said, It's something that my son said to me when he said, Daddy, I love you. Whoever dreamed that one phrase could bring a man to Christ who was an alcoholic, lost his family, his children, his marriage, everything. One phrase, I love you. I've been constantly aware of your unfailing love. And I've lived according to your truth. I challenge you with your children today, no matter what the past is. Maybe some of your children are 30, 40 years old, maybe even 50 years old. See your son or daughter or call them and say, son, I was thinking about you. I just wanted to tell you, I love you. I challenge you to do that today. And you might be surprised how God can start opening a door there for you to have a whole different relationship with your child. Please take this to heart. Never forget his unfailing love. And I trust you as you see it, you want to live out the truth. Thank you.